Chris, I got a question for you, okay? Let's just say you were a professional mixed martial artist, all right? You can't step in with just your name. You need a nickname. Absolutely. What would yours be? Stippy. <laughs> Stippy. I had to go with the only nickname I have so far. So I'm going oh, with Stippy. I, I don't think you're going to intimidate anybody with that. Stippy. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know what I, you know, I'd have to go with Flashpoint. <laughs> I don't even know what I'd go with. I, I can't even think of it. Because, you know, listen, I, I, I've told Frank Yeager this one time. I said, I'd love to, I would love to walk out of that locker room, walk towards that ring, everybody cheering my name, the place going crazy, the lights are on me, my opponent's in the ring, wait and climb up, have the ref, you know, bring us together, do their, you know, pre-fight formality, back to the corner and then say fight. And then I want to be back in the seat watching whoever it is in the ring fight because I'm not doing it. Well, there's one fighter out there and his nickname is Overtime. Corey Overtime Anderson. And the reason they call him Overtime is because this guy puts in some work. He's only been fighting for about four years. After just a few years of fighting, he makes it onto the Ultimate Fighter television show. He wins it. And then he gets a, a, a career in the UFC, currently one of the top 10 fighters, uh, ranked fighters in the world. And uh, man, this guy's had some great victories. He's had some heartbreaking losses, but he's shown an incredible amount of maturity. But, but the reason I wanted him on this podcast is because of his work ethic, because anyone in any field can learn from a person whose nickname is Overtime. Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast, featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. Corey Overtime Anderson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to have you. Um, Listen, uh, you know, I've been looking into your your background and your story ever since you came on the scene, uh, and you got a really interesting story. You grew up in Illinois, and tell me what it was like growing up. Is it in Rockford, right? Rockton. I was born Rockton. in Rockford, but Rockton oh. is like five, ten minutes outside of. It's yeah. a smaller town. I mean, growing up, <laughs> excuse me, when I was growing up, um, they have a population sign when you go by the high school. I remember when I was in like third or fourth grade, riding my bike to the local Burger King, which is like six miles from my house because it's so local yeah <laughs> um the sign i remember reading like we had 1200 some people it was so small at the time we had four stops no i'll say probably five stop signs throughout rockton i mean it's a very small spot and um you know a lot of cornfield at the time we had the high school the middle school and the uh elementary and grade school was all in the same little area and then as time grew, we got older, this place started to bloom. People started to come from Chicago. People started to come from St. Louis, the other big surrounding cities, the quiet cities. They all started moving down to Rockton, and the city started to expand. The cornfields started turning subdivisions. Uh, got a few more stop signs. Exactly, a few yeah. more stop signs. We actually got some stoplights now. They actually just finished construction to put our second set of stoplights in around Thanksgiving. I was back home, and it was actually doing construction. They finished it the day before I left, so now we have 
two more stoplights than the intersection. That was our four stop signs, but it got so crowded they had to expand it to two lanes and some stoplights. So, you know, growing up for me, it wasn't like the Jersey life. Like everybody here, it's a little different. Like when yeah. people ask me, oh, you didn't grow up doing this? Like, no, we grew up shooting guns, riding fours, and working. I mean, we didn't have playtime. We didn't yeah. go to the beach and hang out at the beach and learn how to swim as kids. We learned how to work as kids. You learn how to bail hay, take care of the horses, groom the horses, feed the dogs, you know, catch the chickens, go check the eggs every morning, make sure we ain't got eggs. Don't let the eggs go bad. You wait too long, you bring the eggs, and it's a baby chicken and eggs now. Now it's a waste, you know, stuff like that. We didn't have much playtime. When I think back all the time, people ask me where I got my work ethic from, and it's just the way I was raised. My father always had a roofing company, so if we weren't doing the chores around the house, we had to be out at the shop helping him out. You know, it's our company. Our name is on the company, so things got to be done. Whether it's till midnight or we up at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's got to get done. I remember many times, like, I'm in high school and middle school, my brother in high school, I'm in grade school, whatever it was, and uh, an emergency would happen on the job site. Like, they didn't cover the roof all the way. It wasn't supposed to rain. And I know where rain would come and the place would be getting flooded. And he would get a call, like, oh, rain getting in. Job site may be an hour and a half away, but it's a small family company at the time. And this is us. So he wake us up 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Let's go. We need you. We need you. We jump in the trucks, drive to Sterling, Bloomington, wherever the job site was. And we in there with vacuums and stuff, vacuuming out the gym mm-hmm. and people on the roof trying to cover up the roof. And we covering up all the stuff, getting wet. And a lot of job sites went bad that way. We bought a lot of gym floors. We bought a lot of equipment from high schools and stuff because... You know, it's just the nature of being a roofer, but us being such a small company and in such a small place, we don't have the resources. Like, you go to Chicago, and they have 100 and some people working. We had, growing up, I think we had, like, eight or nine people on my dad's crew all the time. Now we got, like, 17 to 20. Oh, yeah. And he's still, but now a successful business. Now he's a multi-million-dollar business, but he doesn't want to grow big because he made it that way. Keeping it small, there's no point in expanding. You know, the more you expand comes with headache, you know, so... I can a lot of the things I know and do and the way I am is from my father. You know, growing up, seeing that I was the youngest of four, I had two sisters and a brother. The sisters didn't have to do the outside work as much. You know, they was inside doing the house stuff with my mom, but you know, taking care of property, making sure the job is always done. You know, don't save with tomorrow what you can do today. Things like that, and my mentality to always do more and just keep working, keep working. That just come from my father as well because in our town of Rockton, if you ever look up pictures. Google rocks and you never see any black people there. It was all white community and we were the only black family mm-hmm. and people hated it. And my dad knew that alone. Like we got to remember people always watching us. Like when we started this business, it started out of the basement. I'm sorry to keep from um, causing so much grief from people keeping an eye on us. He was using the basement and we had horses. So we used half the barn to store his equipment and other stuff at other people's house. But when it got so big to the point he needed his own building, he built the big warehouse out there. We had 7.2 acres. He used half of it to build his warehouse and parking lot. And most of the people didn't mind, but it was always this one neighbor guy or somebody else and his friends always had a problem. We go to City Hall. We had to always deal with that. So everything we did it always took a long process. And to this day, that's just something else I always in my mind. It's like you just got to – I know it ain't necessarily true in every case, but in my head I just remember growing up we had to do everything a lot harder than everybody else. So mm-hmm. I expect everything is going to be that way. So I don't expect any fight to be easy, any training session to be easy. I don't expect when I go to meet anybody, they're going to accept me for who I am right away. I just, I got to wow them. You know, I tell my lady all the time, she always says, like, I'm, when we first started hanging out, 
She's like, I kind of overlooked you. It's just because I dealt with so many fighters before she fights too, and she knows. It's like just some of them that just don't catch interest. But for some, some about you, like just talking to our conversation, you kind of sold yourself to the point where ever since that date, I was always thinking about you. Mm. Like I was always wondering, like, I wonder how he did. That was cool that he said that. And that's just, maybe when I went to college, when I was going to get recruited, I wasn't the best wrestler. When I went on these recruit trips, I sold myself to these coaches to let them know, like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do more than everybody on this team. So I'm, that's the reason why you need me. That wasn't the fact I was being cocky. I was always just confident. I've never been over, like, big boasting, bragging type person. The one time I did that, I paid for it. You know, I did get cocky my senior year in college when I was ranked number one in the country and I was beating everybody. For one second, I let the humbleness I had leave me. And I never forget my mother telling me. But at the national duels, it was, wasn't national tournament, but it was team national. She said, you're getting cocky. I don't like it. I've never seen you like this before. And you're going to pay for it really soon. And little did I know, like 30 minutes after I walk away from it, we go up in the match, and the guy I would face that match would be the guy that humbled me. You know, he wasn't ranked number one. He went and pinned me, and that right fast, it just brought me back to where I was. So it's just, and now I take all that into my life today, into fighting, to every day I live, from coaching. There's all the things I do and enjoy day to day, but I'm always thinking about things my father taught me, no matter what I do. You know, you once said that your father was very motivating, but in a negative way. What do you mean by that? Um, you have to meet my father to understand. Like my father has a, I said, he got the multi-million dollar roofing company. He calls me all the time. Like, why don't you come back and take over the company? Why don't you this, 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 and this? It's this uh, cash cow. It's already here. All you got to do is come in and just roll with the wheels. The wheels have been invented. Just roll with it now. Like you can have it. I just tell him all the time. Like, I, that's your dream. It's not mine. Do your thing. And I'm going to do mine. This is what I'm doing. But you guys be around my fathers. I tell him all the time. When we worked with you, it wasn't. We couldn't be employees at the job site because you treat us like your kids. Then we get home and we couldn't be your kids because you're on us for being employees. Mm-hmm. It was like he always said something motivating, but it wasn't like the super negative way. I, okay, this is an example. When I was probably six or seven years old, you know, my brother, my brother, six years old, and he was 13, 14, whatever it is, was putting an uh, electric anchor on his boat, one of the first fishing boats he ever bought. He was super proud of it i never forget, it was probably 10.30 at night. My dad wanted to get it done. My brother was tired. I'm tired, but I'm out there. And my dad gave his huge motivational speech. It started off motivational, and it just went south real fast. And like, you know what? Y'all just lazy. Y'all some lazy bums. And I never forget, he had a power drill in his hand, and we got the garage door, the garage closed, and he stand up on the boat, and he takes the drill, and he just cuts lazy into the door. He's like, you see, that's what y'all are. Y'all are capital L-A-Z-Y lazy. And it's just like, in my head, I remember looking like, <laughs> like wow like now I grew up and I look back 22 years later 21 whatever it is and I think like like I say all the time he's super motivating but what? he does it in a negative way you are far from lazy I mean you have the, the name Overtime I'm, I want to get into your career and and this whole name of Overtime but I want to go back before we do that and just talk when you were younger you had a, a spinal disease of some sort yeah um, with some you know, you got to ask my fiance more about it. Like I told I don't ask questions, but my mother was telling her. I've heard my family talk about it. I think it was spinal meningitis or something mm-hmm. like that. Or I was a, a vegetable. They said when I came out of the hospital, I was a vegetable. How One old thing were you? I, um, it was, I got it at birth, actually. I had That's it from when I, time I was born until I came home. I think they said I came home from the hospital like two or three. Like I can talk, but I wasn't talking. I wouldn't talk. And the first thing, this is actually, I told this story or I told a paper when I debuted in UFC, my first song, 
was uh, MC Hammer can't touch this. I remember. And my mother called me and told me to do that because she said, son, you started, you never had this dream to be in the UFC. And this is like a new beginning for you. And your new beginning was when you came home, for me, it was when you came home from the hospital. And the only thing you responded to, you know what it is. And that, it was that song. My sister was in her room playing the song. They said that was the first thing I actually made a movement, like and I actually functioned to. I got up and started moving around. I started playing and dancing and stuff to that song. So I'll never forget when I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, my mother gave me that MC Airman CD. And she's like, it's yours now, you know? This isn't, she explained that. But again, I never really asked questions about what it was I had. I've never been that type of person. Right. And my fiance, she hates it to this day. She asks all, all these questions like, well, is this, what is it? They <laughs> told me this. Like, so what does that mean? Mm -hmm. She's like, Corey, you got to ask questions. Like, I don't like asking questions because I don't like to know. It could be something bad. It could be something good. But I'd rather not know, you know. If somebody asked something, oh, they said I had this. Like when I told her or when I did my interview after the Jimmy Manuel fight, I said I had a spinal disease and whatever. Like, in my head, I still didn't register that spinal meningitis was that bad. <laughs> right. When I got back, like, bro, you know you had spinal... Most kids died from that, and you survived it. Like, what is that? And my fiancé broke it down, how bad it actually is. I was like, oh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we just... A family of fighters. My brother was three months premature, born probably this small. We just... I think all of us had something wrong with us as kids. Yeah. <laughs> but we all, to this day, we made it, so... You mentioned that you wrestled. You wrestled in high school. You wrestled in college. Uh, you had a, a good career. At one point, you broke your leg mm -hmm. in three places. Did the doctor tell you your wrestling career was done? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, that's just another story in my life. You know, it's always something. It was always telling me I couldn't, I shouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I can't, and I just always did it. And uh, that leg was, was that the first or second? I think, yeah, that was the first instance I had in college. When I, before the season even started, freshman year in college, I'm drilling with my coach. Just a simple drill. Work, he sh shoots a single leg, I defend it, he shoots a double, hit with my hips and score. Well, I defended the single leg, when he shot double, I bumped with the hips and I fell back. And I never forget, he was just like, don't look down. Hmm. I'm looking up, I'm like, well, I thought I just tripped, so I'm getting ready to get up. He's like, don't, sit down, stay there. I'm like, what? And I looked down, and my one foot was pointing up, and there was no foot on the left. Like, what? In the and I look, and it was behind me, twisted. Like, what What happened? He's like, I don't know, just don't, don't panic. And, Right then I panicked. <laughs> there was a pool on the other side of the door in the wrestling room. There was a wrestling room and a swimming pool. I remember I was oh, bear crawling man. to get to that door. I was going to jump out the door, just jump in the deep end, just let the pain just drown, Guys, drown myself. What weight did you wrestle at? Heavyweight. All right, because I, I, I heard you say that when you were healing from that, you went up to 297.8. 297. Was yeah. that what you were wrestling at before wrestling, you got injured? I wrestled at heavyweight from my freshman year in high school to my senior year in college. And what's your weight now? You you fight I walk at around like two twenty five, two thirty. Yeah, I mean that's a big. I mean that's a story right there. Yeah, I got down to two hundred at one point. I tried to see how low I can get. When I got to like one ninety seven, one ninety eight, I was like passing out, having nosebleeds, and that's when I realized like this ain't gonna happen. Right. And I did the body fat test, and even when I was a big guy wrestling, we did the body fat test. It said the lowest you can get is like two hundred three point four. Then when I got down to like two ten, like after I started passing out and I got back up a little bit. Like low as you can go is 201, and even today, like they're like, oh, you should go 20, or oh, you should go 185, you should go 185, you can do it. This is this. I went to the PI, had them do the test and everything, and even he emailed me last week and said, Corey, that's, I wouldn't advise that. Like your body says, the lowest you can go is 201.8, and it still hasn't changed. It's just that's my body. I might yeah. look lean, 
now, but it was a long process to get here. Like, they don't think people here realize I was once 300 pounds. And if you yeah. seen me, it wasn't like I was 300 and, like, the guys, the belly jiggle. It was like a 300, like, I could wrestle, I could move, I could run, but I was just 300 pounds. I was a big yeah. dude. Wow, that's something. And you didn't think when you were younger, I'm, I want to be a mixed martial artist. This came after college or around? Yeah, I didn't want to be a mixed martial artist when I was being a mixed martial artist. I was tricked into this sport. And uh, Ben Askren, he just retired. He uh, yeah. coached me my senior year at Whitewater. And i never forget when I walked off the mat, my phone goes off. I grab my bag and stuff. I feel my phone going. All these congratulations. And I see Ben. Congratulations. Great career. Not many people can say they made it to the national finals, Matt, and did what they did. Granted, you didn't win. There's still more. And uh, we were training for the Olympics. That was my mindset. Work mm -hmm. with Ben. Get to the Olympics. All right, we'll start wrestling, whatever. Meet me at this address. And the address ended up being an MMA gym, which is where I met my fiance at that day as, that day as well. I didn't know it was an MMA gym. I remember walking downstairs. And you see this big yellow sign, Rufus Sport MMA, like, or Rufus Sport Kickboxing, what it said at the time. It didn't say MMA. Duke Rufus. Yep, Duke Rufus. So I'm thinking, like, where in the world? Where am I going? And I go downstairs, and you got all these cage rooms. They got wrestling mats, but it's, but it's not like your normal mat. It's mat. This is my first time in a jiu-jitsu or MMA place, so I've never seen anything like it. It's like everything in a cage, and I'm wondering, like, what in the world is going on? And Ben is actually running a wrestling class, so it's like it could be wrestling, but maybe it's a different kind of wrestling. And he came on, and he goes, oh, Corey, glad you can make it, blah, blah, blah. He said, I know you came here to wrestle, but I got to tell you, this is your new sport. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I want you to try it. If you don't like it, that's fine. At least try it. Give me, just try it for me. What are you talking about? Try it. Like, oh, MMA. Like, I guess he thought I knew somebody about MMA. I was like, what? What? No. Like, I'm here to wrestle. Like, I got wrestling shoes. Hey, girl, yeah. I'm here to wrestle. He's like, you can do all that stuff, but just throw punches. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm cool. So I just sat out that day and I watched like everything going on. It's three different matches. You had jujitsu, you had wrestling, you had like a female's kickboxing class in the background. And I'm just watching at the time I'm watching, it's just something else my father said going in my head. Like anytime an opportunity comes, you just gotta give an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Take that opportunity. You don't know what can happen. Like you said, you might not like it, or you might like it. Ben said that. Like my dad yeah. said, you won't know unless you try it. You gotta try it. Don't ever knock anything. Just like when people tell me things. Like fans that talk crazy and everybody's like, oh, this guy is saying crazy stuff. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Well, my father, I sit there and talk to him at dinner. He's like, who knows? Try it. It might work. He might yeah. never done it, but he might have a point. If he tried and it worked, guess what? You can thank that guy one day. If he tried and it doesn't work, it don't work. Wait. He's a nobody, so pay no attention. So you try it. And what year was this? Do you remember the year? Um, 2012. 2012. Yep. You've only been fighting a few years. Two years later. You end up on season 19, The Ultimate Fighter, uh, Edgar versus uh, versus Penn. Mm -hmm. I think that was actually my favorite season. I thought that was a tremendous season. You're picked number one, and you end up on Frankie Edgar's team, and maybe that was fate right there because yeah. um, you end up going the distance, you make it into the finals, and in the finals, you knock out your opponent and you win tough. What did that feel like? It was a tremendous feeling. You know, I, I don't even know if I can still explain that feeling until – this day it's weird because you think about the fact I never wanted to fight right there's so many people out here that say oh man I wish I could do as you do when I talk to fans and meet fans I just want to be a fighter I get messages every day oh I'm being an aspiring fighter I'm 13 or I'm 14 what do I do how did you do it what did you I need to do to follow your steps it's just like I can't even tell you to follow my steps because I was trying to get away from it people have been telling me I should try it since I was a freshman like I knew guys on my team that right. did it amateur 
I just like looked at him like, what? That just sounds ridiculous. Did you fight growing up? Or like I had fights in the school, stuff like that. I did boxing um, after I broke my leg as a rehab. The doctor said it'd be a good rehab, so I did that in my next summer. I had okay. two amateur boxing fights and went undefeated in that. And I was fine with that. I would have did that, but the fact of kicking with the metal plate in my leg, it was just so many injuries. I got both my shoulders still torn to this day. Just so many injuries in my mind. I was like, there's no way I can do it. It's just too much up and down, slamming, kicking. Yeah. I, everything was going to come out. Every time I go, my shoulder dislocate. I'm going to get kicked in the leg. I'm going to drop. Because in wrestling, with the metal plate, because the nerves run up and down my leg, if somebody would try to foot sweep me at the time, they would kick that nerve and something, my whole leg would go numb and something, I'd just fall over. And I have to fight from my back or whatever because I, it takes like 10 to 15 seconds for that feeling to come back. Right. I can use the leg. But now I'm so used to it, it doesn't bother me anymore. Because at the time, like I said, people said that. And Matt Hughes was the king of my junior college I went to. He would come back and everybody wanted to be like Matt Hughes. Oh my God, Matt Hughes, I'm going to be the next champ. Yeah. He got his big shrine in the basement and everybody used to say he, the same thing. He went thing. to your college? Yeah, the oh, junior wow. college yeah. I went now, to. Now, Matt, for people that are listening that, that maybe don't follow MMA, we're talking about a true legend in the sport, Matt mm -hmm. Hughes. And, uh, you know, one of my best, our favorite fighters as well. Um, did you meet him? Yeah, I know. Me and Matt, like, super close I have to ask now. you this, just before we go any further, just come Have you ever met MC Ammer? Because he's been at UFC no. fights he's before. He's actually, um, after that, when I used his song, he actually contacted me. To this day, it's one of the only voicemails I've saved on my phone. Four years later, it's still on my phone. He called me after I won the fight, congratulated me, and told me if I ever wanted to get a hold of him, call him, we can talk, whatever. I can come out to Cali. I texted him. We talked for about a good six months straight, but I just never could get my schedule to make it out to Cali where he was at. My niece, Kristen Henry, is a huge fan of yours. After this, um, I want to place a call to her. I'm kind of hoping she doesn't pick up. I know she would love to hear from you, but I'm kind of hoping she doesn't so you can leave a voicemail for her because <laughs> I'm sure she'll feel the same way. After The Ultimate Fighter, uh, you win it. You get an offer from uh, from Mark Henry, Frankie uh, Edgar's boxing coach, and uh, come work with us anytime. And you landed home, and you picked up the phone and called him, didn't you? Yeah. And... and and how soon did you come out to New Jersey to train? Um, I had to finish. I had a job and stuff going on back home, so I had to finish that. I had a lease going up until April, and the show happened to air April 16th. So I literally packed. I went home and started packing everything up already, knowing, like, I'm leaving here once the lease is up. My teammates told me when I left, the main guy that I worked with, he told me, like, when you go to this show, he's like, I already know you're going to win it, so you ain't got to tell me when you come back. When you go to this show, you're going to surpass all of us. There's nothing we can do for you here anymore. And I want you on there networking. I want you to figure out where you're going when you get back. That's tremendous advice. Yes. And um, it was crazy the fact when I landed off the plane, I had to call or text from, it was Ricardo texting me, hey, Monster, congratulations again. I just want to say this. Frankie was saying, bro, don't forget, just keep working on your jiu-jitsu. I'm so proud of this and this. And then Mark was like, yo, bro, so proud of you. Anytime you want, you can come out here. And I think he was just being generous. I don't think he actually wanted me or expected me to pick up and leave. <laughs> but, uh. I never, when I called him and told him, like, yo, um, so where you guys based? I was like, oh, New Jersey, you're going to come out? Like, yeah, I think I'm going to come check it out. So when all my lease was up, I threw everything in my car, went home, put everything, like, with a trailer, loaded all the stuff in my dad's garage, his extra garage, and told him I'm out. In the morning, we hitting the road. Next stop, New Jersey. After that, I'll be back when I'm a champion. And uh, that was it. I went Did you get here. an apartment when you were here? I lived in um, the Nappy's attic, actually. Frankie's father-in-law. Frankie, Frankie Edgar's father-in-law, so exactly. So what does Frankie Edgar mean to you then? Like I made a post on Father's Day to him alone. It's just Frankie Frankie is just like the coaches I've had growing up in college, you know, because when I picked up 
when I got picked up in college my freshman year when I first got recruited, I never made it to state. You know, in Illinois, if you don't make it to state, you're not going to college. I was one of the only kids to go to college that did not make it to state. And I, to this day, that coach, I went back to visit him last week in Illinois, drove four hours just to go see him, just so he can retire, just to see him walk out the building because mm-hmm. he means that much to me. Now he was like, man, nobody else came back to see me. Like, coach, you like a father to me. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be where I was. And Frankie Falls right there in the same place. I made a post the other, what, a month ago saying so – so crazy that somebody so small can mean so such a big impact in my life. Because yeah. if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been here. If he wouldn't have picked me first, I wouldn't have probably. If I would have went to BJ Penn's team, I doubt I would have had the outcome I did. Mm. Because yeah, I don't think BJ was coaching his team the way Frankie was. Because to one of the guys on his team is in Philly, Anton Burson. We talk all the time. He says it like. Like, I wish I would have had that opportunity. I talked to Josh Clark and other guys from the team. They all said, from what you guys say, how your practice was, was nothing like ours. Cause we would just go in and go live. We would just spar and beat each other up. When we they came in, and it was just like it is today. Mark Henry came in with the weekly schedule every time. Yeah. Who's training partner? Who you going to train with this day? Who you going to train with the next day? When you do sparring, what rounds with who? It was all calculated out to, like, science, yeah. to where you didn't get hurt and – you would got the most out of every practice when it seemed like the other team they just went in and spar and nobody learned anything. And I think that right there alone speaks for us as a team, like the Jersey Iron Army as a team, how they operate. Everybody is a yeah. family. You're not yeah. a number. You're not just somebody's paying to be on a team. There's so many teams out there, they allow people to come into the camp. They don't care what happens to you in the cage if you get hurt or whatever you want to do next. It really doesn't matter as long as they get paid. Just don't forget you got to pay them at mm. the end. When it's here, it's not about that. Oh, I know? noticed that. You guys get together a few times a year. You have barbecues, parties. All the time. Yeah. All the time. We go this weekend. Everybody was at I Play watching the fights because Frankie yeah. had his little meet and greet there. So I went there, told some other teammates, some other guys I spar with that's not part of our team. We go in here, and the next thing you know, it was like three or four different affiliate gyms packed up in there. We talked about this off the air, but we might as well bring it up now because you said you were out watching the fights and you're talking about uh, Eddie Alvarez fight against Justin and – I mean, Eddie's one of your teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you think of that? Uh, just a beautiful massacre. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said about Justin Gaethje's fight when he fought Michael Johnson. But now it's like Eddie just took over. I was that was a beautiful massacre. Even yeah. with his leg, you can tell the legs are hurting. But he just he played it smart. He played his game. And if you watch the fight, the interview they played of Gaethje before the fight, he said, everybody knows I'm coming out there to bang. I'm not taking any shots. There's no point in the fight. I'm going to take shots. I don't take shots. I'm going to punch. Eddie was eating him up so much, he forced two shots. Yeah. And that's how he got knee. He was getting ready to take another shot. As he level yeah. changed, Eddie threw that knee. It was, it was an amazing fight to watch. It was yeah. really, I mean, it was, it was like a battle of wills. And you got to give Justin credit. I oh, mean, 100%. he came at it. And, and I'm happy for Eddie with that fight. You know, I want to talk. This is one of my primary reasons why I'm hoping that, um, you know, I have a lot of people in my industry or any industry listening to this right now, whether or not they're a fight fan is regardless, because um, what, what I love about you is your work ethic, your dedication. I like the fact that you understand um, something I was just talking to a friend about who was a he was a professional soccer player. I was just talking to him about this the other day is that. You want to be a professional athlete, or if you want to reach the top level and reach the pinnacle of success in whatever sport or business or whatever your your chosen field is, you have to at some point have an obsession with what you want to accomplish. You have to be obsessed to the point where you say, look, um, I have a choice today, what I'm going to do this afternoon. 
I can go watch a movie because I got some time. I can go get an extra session in or put 45 minutes in on a treadmill or whatever it is. I follow you on Instagram. I hope everybody that's listening to this will start following you on Instagram because your Instagram is incredibly inspirational because you're always putting out effort to be better. Talk a little bit about that. What does it mean to you? I mean, this is why you're called overtime mm-hmm. and, and 25-8 before overtime because you put in that extra time. How important do you think it is for someone that wants to become successful as a fighter or anything to put in that kind of effort? It's a must. It's not important. It's a must. You know, it's a difference between important is like, oh, it's up to the top. And a must is like, you have to do it. There's mm-hmm. nothing. If you want to be the best, you have to do it. Important is like, oh, it's super important. Make sure you get to it. Don't forget about like when they send your urgent email, this is urgent. It ain't saying that you got to do it right now, but make sure as soon as you can. As, as soon as you can. That's, that can mean that's option. Right. When it's a must, there's no option. It's, it's got to be done right now. And that's just something. Like, I don't do many things in life. And with my girl, she it drives her crazy because I'm always running around. But, like, it's not many things I do. I train. I coach. And now I'm hunting. At first it was training, coaching, and that's all I did all day. But now I'm hunting, which is why I wanted to wait till I was done fighting. Because anything I do, I'm going to do it all out. And if you follow my posts, you know I'm in the woods when it's dark in the morning to the sun comes 10, I got to get to the gym. I'm down, go to the gym. I go home, shower, eat. I'm right back in the tree stand till it's dark again, and I go right back to the gym. And I'm not even in a fight camp right now. Yeah. So right now the gym is a must. I have to be in the gym because that's what I want to do. I think that's something you have in common with the whole Iron Army team is you're always fight ready. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't say that about, you know, some of the fighters. They they have their off camp times. You're always fight ready, always prepared. I want to um, you talked about and you mentioned Jimmy Manoa a little bit earlier when he was ranked number four. I think you were ranked seven at the mm-hmm. time when you fought him. Seven or eight. One seven or eight in the world. And 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 Jimmy knocks you out. I want to say this for a reason, because your press conference after that was when I became an even bigger fan of you. And here's why. I want to read what you said, because I wrote this down. Uh, you got in the press conference, people said, uh, you know, people were asking you about how you feel after the fight. And you wrote, look, it didn't go my way. I wanted the way that I wanted it to go, but it was a great experience for me. You talked about how you thanked Jimmy for the opportunity. And you said, I went to the locker room, told my coach, There ain't no reason to be upset. I'm young. I'm 27 years old. I've been fighting for four years. I've got a lot to learn. And then you went on to talk about about how you've realized some of these guys are bigger than you. You said, I'm a big guy in the gym, but I have some growing. Everybody knows I have cardio. Now I just have to work on building size. Then you went on to say, I'm not the best right now, but I will be. Wherever it is that I got to go, I'm willing to go. I love that because that, to me, it showed extreme maturity more more so than i would typically see in a fighter your age that's only been fighting for the amount of time you did but what i what i love the most about it is you just sit here sit here and said look i have identified that i have flaws everybody does i talked to frankie about this when he was here frankie said look there's times everybody gets humbled in the sport of mma everybody at one point you may think you know hey i'm a professional fighter but even at the gym guys guys are getting tapped out on a regular basis it's what you learn that's going to make you a champion. And what you said after that and that post-fight press conference, I said, I think this – I mean, you're a champion already right here. You agree with that mm-hmm. and what I'm saying? 
but I love that about you. And I just want to give you, you a compliment for that because, you know, I've seen that the growth follow. And now I watch you again in your Instagram and I think, man, this guy's putting in the time. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before I think you'll have that belt around your waist because of the work ethic. And yes, no, you're welcome. Listen, I know we only have a short amount of time, but I want to ask you just a few questions just to wrap up. And uh, one is, what is, what would you say is the best advice that anybody has ever given you, whether it be MMA related or anything? You mentioned, you know, one gentleman you went on his retirement day, you went to thank him. I mean, maybe it's him, maybe it's your father, but what do you think is the best bit of advice that you kind of go back to when things get hard to get you through? Work hard. It can only last so long. I mean, that right there, that's from my father. That's from every coach I've had. Work hard is just, even at the end, I've heard people, they lose, oh, I work so hard, I lost, I can't believe it. Like, but do you ever regret working hard? Mm. And everywhere, it might not go your way, but you're going to sit there and say, oh, my God, I hate the fact that I worked hard. Because so many challenges that you're going to face in life, you're going, oh, my, oh, my God, there's no way I can do it. Oh, my goodness, it's so hard. But when you get done and you do it, you'll look back and say, I did that. Yeah. And that's something you'll tell your kids and you'll tell somebody else when they're going through that at the same time. Like I see people at the gym whenever they're struggling with their weight, and I go tell them, like, look at me. Hey, what about it? I was 300 pounds. And then nobody believe it. And then people are like, I've seen the pictures. I'm like, all oh, it is work hard. It's going to take time. It just yeah. don't quit. Because when you look back, when you get to my size, and you can look back and you can tell somebody, like, yeah, this is a picture of me. Look. Or you can tell your kids, look, this is what I did at this age, blah, blah, blah. And you'll say you'll never regret the fact you were hard. Whether it go the way you want to, it's some people that work hard. I know a lot of people that have been working lose weight for about five, six years, and they've probably lost like 25. But in their mind, they're in the point where they feel so confident about themselves that they love the fact. They always post, I love the progress. And some people are like, oh, they say something to me on the side, like, oh, you see such and such post, they're talking about they love the progress, but they ain't even lost no weight. It ain't the fact of losing the weight. It's the progress in your mind. Because mm. when you first start, you're like, oh, my God, this is so hard. I don't want to do it. But now it's the fact they love getting up in the morning just to get to the gym. Yeah. They might not look better, but I guarantee you they'll live longer than you because you ain't did nothing. They making their health for their life and their family that much better. It's a mental thing. It ain't always physical. Yeah. Just work hard. That's the main ingredient. You talk about some of the things people say, the negativity. <clears throat> Being a professional athlete, there's no doubt that you deal with criticism especially on social media, more so than anywhere else, right? Um, how do you deal with that? I mean, do you listen, when people post something negative, do you listen to it? Do you, do you, uh, does it um, affect you anyway? Oh, it doesn't affect me. I mean, you'll see, like I make posts every once in a while, probably like twice a year, I might take one certain thing that somebody might post and tag me in or say something, I'll post on my page and make a comment about it. And people will mess, message me, like, oh, don't let it get to you, I'll keep your head up. It never gets to me. Like, that's one thing about it. nothing gets to me. I tell people, you can't break me because you ain't make me. I didn't put myself through more things than you have put me through, so there's no reason I would let you get in my head and deter any mission or anything I'm on. I always tell kids, it's hard to distract the person. I know exactly what he want in life. So what people say doesn't affect me. What critics say doesn't affect me. What Dana White says, what my manager, what the coaches say, it doesn't affect me. I take everything in with a grain of salt. You take it in, you digest it. You can take it on, like I said, you can take it and try it. Or I can take it and throw it away. Mm. What you say ain't got nothing to do with me. Excuse my language, or I'll tell you in a nice way, what he eat don't make me crap. That's mm -hmm. why I look at everything. So you can say what you want. It's a waste of breath. If it's knowledgeable, I'll take it. If it's garbage, I'm putting it where it belongs, in the trash. It is what it is. 
how important is you because you talk about when people say stuff if it's knowledgeable i'll take it how important is mark henry to you hmm. mark mark henry is like a scientist you know i went to school but i wasn't that smart <laughs> and mark, you know mark I mean? henry i should mention again just for people that don't know he, he's your boxing coach yes and and boxing coach for your whole team yeah and he's that's the thing Everybody look at Mark like he's the boxing coach. He's not just the boxing coach. Most of our takedowns and stuff we get in the fights, he called before anybody else. You hear Ricardo and everybody else saying, oh, the jab is there. Brother, jab with a kick. Mark is in there yelling out a takedown. Combo. So you got a jiu-jitsu <laughs> coach telling you yeah. boxing. Because yeah. they, with the, it happens so fast. Mark, like I said, I say he's a scientist. and People don't understand until you work with him. I remember before my girl was my girl, she came and visited me. And I had a pad workout with him. And like I said, she trained under Duke Rufus. One of the best strikers in the world, striking coach, whatever. And she's been with him for five years at this time. She come here on one pass session. She was like, oh, my God. I, it was me and Chris Wyman. She's like, I just learned so much in that little session, that hour mm-hmm. session y'all had, and got so confused at the same time. I took more from that than I had in five years with Duke Rufus. Like, he breaks everything down for a reason. And the reason why my lady loves it is because she loves asking questions. And like she said, everything has to be for a reason. And everything Mark throws, if he tell you throw a jab a certain way, in this fight camp only, is a certain reason. Because this guy, when you throw a normal jab, he either kicks or he's going to shoot for a takedown. So he'll take away to turn his jab. It'll be the same jab, but you're going to turn everything different. Your punch won't turn all the way over or your step won't be as hard. And he and you'll work that one thing until you got it. And he'll have it written down the wall. you come back after you master it. I, I wonder. See, I see his Instagram, too. He's got a lot of stuff written on a wall. I did not know what that was. So that's what it is. It's Bible scriptures. It's yeah. motivational quotes. And every camp, you got your own game plan. And then you got the keynotes. And he'll text me every 2 o'clock in the morning. You in bed. Da, 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 whatever he said. Something he said that day. Just make, make sure you remember. Put it in your phone. Save it now. That's awesome. And like, before you come over tomorrow for Mitts, make sure you go over there so we know exactly what to do. And you don't get coaches that do that. Like I said, this guy's been... If you pay attention to both the fights this weekend, one fight was in Vegas, one was in Detroit. Yeah. Now, if you saw, he was in Detroit through the week. Mm-hmm. He ended up in Vegas when Deanna Bennett fought, and he was back in the morning in Detroit with Eddie warming up, warming him up for his final workout. You tell me a coach that does that much. And for by his the way, guys. the next day he was shopping with his daughter. Exactly. Yeah. Christmas shopping with his daughter, and yeah. now where is he at? He's yeah. on his way to California to corner Marlon Morales. This guy been on the road. Since October or September, you tell me a coach that does that. That's amazing. And yeah. he does it out of his house and runs a pizzeria with the family. Two kids, a wife, and two dogs. Yeah. <laughs> like Pino, Pino's Pizzeria, and it's supposed to be the best pizza. I haven't had oh, it yet. Man, it's good. It ain't Chicago w- pizza, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went to Chicago one time to speak, right? And and um and they they catered the event I was speaking at with Jersey Mike's subs. I and, and they said we wanted you to, we wanted you to feel at home. I said I don't need Jersey Mike shove, uh, subs when I come here. I need Chicago deep dish pizza. <laughs> I want the real stuff. Bring right. me your stuff. So listen, how how do you where do you find your drive from? How do you stay hungry? I know what I want. I want to be the best. You want to be the best. Nothing, there's nothing. I don't need to watch motivational videos. I don't have to read anything. I don't have to have somebody tell me you need to get up and go to the gym. Right now, you know what the coach is telling me? They still tell me to take time off. Don't do nothing until January. And I tried it. It lasted about a week and a half. Mm-hmm. I just can't. I'm too hungry. I went from, that was the whole point of me hunting. You know, I spent all this, I just spent thousands of dollars on hunting equipment, all this stuff, thinking I'm just going to stay hunting all day long. I'm going to stop doing my classes. 
but I can't. My dream job is to coach. My dream job I'm doing now is fighting. Those are the two most important things in my life. Now you're coaching at Nick Catones. Nick Catones. I teach at Dante Rivera's. I teach at Ricardo. I teach wherever. You know, I love doing seminars. My dream job is coaching. I was doing my dream job before fighting, but I couldn't balance the two. So my coaches and my teammates, my kids, that coach, they told my like, coach, you did all you could for us. It was a junior college. And all my guys, I was two-year guys, finished. Like, it's your turn to go get your gold. And mm-hmm. I made a deal with my heavyweight. He made it to the national final. I said, you go out here and you win this match, I retire. You win this gold, That's I'm going to awesome. win mine. He won. He walked off. He said, coach, you know what you got to go do. It's your turn. I went and got the ultimate final, fighter. He said, look, we kept our goal. We kept our promise. Now we just keep going. I mean, That's uh, awesome. Uh, you work real hard. There's no question about that how do you celebrate success keep working hard that's it that i hope you take your fiance out at least for dinner oh after every <laughs> fight we go on vacation you know yeah after my fight with jimmy we flew to paris right from london to paris that's when i asked her to marry me at the eiffel tower um after shogun we went to punta cana after Ocano, we went to puerto vallarta mexico this time she was working so we just went back home and spent time with the family you know always she she gets Anything I get, she gets the same thing. You know, I make sure because she's been there. I didn't dealt with a lot of females. I had a lot of females in and out during this fight career, even wrestling my whole life. Like, I've always been good with the females. I like having females around. But, like, I tell her all the time, I never had like this. Like, not even just the conversation alone. Mm. Like, the conversation, that was our first date. When she asked me, like, I hope you had a good time. I said, you know what I enjoy most? Your conversation. Like, she's a pretty face and all that stuff. But her conversation was so intellectual. That is what got me. Yeah. And that's what wanted to make me come see her. And it was, and I just grew to everything. She's everything I could ever want in a female. So, and she's here for me, and I'm everything she wanted a man. What I'm doing, she doing. She fights, she work, I work. When I shine, when I shine, she shines. When she shines, I shine. So, I tell her time. Why do I ever try to tell her, or tell her not tell her, but tell her? Why do I want to bring my lady down? Because if I bring her down, then I'm going down with her. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do everything I can to lift her up, and make her feel good about herself. Because if she feel good, I feel good. She look good, I look great. And when I look great, she look better. So we keep clicking off each other like that. It's going to be an ultimate duo. And I just can't. I love it. I can't get enough of it, you know. I've had, like I said, did so many different relationships. But it's just this thing. It's just this relationship is just something different. You just get that feeling. And it's a good feeling to have. I was going to ask you how important loyalty and family is to you. But I think you actually just answered that with that question. That That's really awesome. Um, let me ask you, other, uh, what is your favorite career moment so far? Is it winning the Ultimate Fighter? No. What is it? My favorite career moment is inspiring these other kids that can look up to me and see my page, go do seminars and sign autographs and hear kids say, oh, my God, you're such a huge inspiration. Like one of the kids came up to me and Nick Catones I haven't seen since my fight. And she said, Corey, even though you lost your fight, I just want you to know you're a huge inspiration for me. And I still love seeing you come to the gym and teach and watch you work out. I was in the, cry, in the locker room and cried. Mm-hmm. Like this little girl, she probably don't know anything about life yet. She's probably like six or seven. But the fact that she's seen me long enough, and I actually met her when um, everything happened with Nicotone. She was actually their daughter's best friend, and she ended up coming to the gym. I, I was over there like every day for like a week, and that's when I met her. And then she just came to the gym one day, and she signed up, and now she's there, and she always comes. I was like, oh, my, hi, Corey. You're such an inspiration. Oh, thank you. That was cool. I saw you do this in practice. I like that. And that's the stuff I love this job for. You know, the money, the fame. That's all for the birds. Like I said, as long as I'm happy, I don't care about the money. There's a lot of people, I think, that maybe don't understand UFC or MMA and maybe they think, hey, it's a violent sport. You need to hate the person you're fighting. You don't. I mean, it's a sport. It's it's a skill against a skill. 
but you seem, and I don't know this for sure, but it looks from the outside that you have pretty good relationships with guys that you fight. Very respectful afterwards. I don't always see this, but after your fights, I often see you with the guy, you know, posting maybe a picture on social media and all. Um, so it's nothing personal about the sport, right? I mean, it's about skill level versus skill level. Is it's that about accurate? Business. It's about business. It's a job. So like my father, when he first, my father's also, even much as he's on me, he wants me to be the best. When I told him I was fighting, he, that was the one thing he never agreed with. And because he's such a, a Christian believer, he believes God wouldn't want me beating up another man. You know, mm -hmm. I would want you, that's a savage, but I told, I told him right there, like, I'm not, you know, I don't have anger towards anyone. I don't go out there trying to kill anybody. I'm not telling myself I need to go F this guy up before he does me. It's, I got to go do my job better than him. Just like you want me to do if we was rougher. You want me to work better than that guy? You want me to work better than this guy? Find me another job. Everything I did, you told me to work harder than the next person. This is just my way to go out there and show there's no question to it. That guy's going to win. You know, the better guy's going to win. But then not all the time does the better guy win, but I'm still going to work hard. And that's why I just want I just, this is my way of working hard. I enjoy working hard. I enjoy labor. This is, this is what I'm going to do. When I was a – I wrestled when I was younger. And when I was – uh, I think a junior, the number one kid in the state in a certain weight class, returning state champion. Everybody was talking about him. All the papers were talking about him. The districts were being held in my town. And everybody lines up around the mat to watch this kid, this amazing wrestler, state champion. And the first match is against, you know, the lowest seeded guy in the tournament. Takes him down, lets him up, takes him down, lets him up. He was being real, being kind of arrogant. And he, the kid ends up catching him, rolling around, pinning him. End of his career, meaning high school career. Mm -hmm. I've heard later on that he go, he's often said, because he's a coach today, he's, he's often said it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he, he understood humility. When we started our conversation today, you started telling a similar story that happened to you. You got, you know, you started thinking uh, you lost your humility and, uh, and somebody beat you. I want to end this podcast by asking you if somebody's listening and they were just humbled and they went through a, a moment in whatever career they're in where, where things didn't turn out the way they wanted to, what advice do you tell that person? Remember why you started. Focus Remember on. why you started. That's the reason why you started should be the same reason why you keep going. And, you know, if it was, it was fun – well, that's the main reason. Every, mm -hmm. I tell every kid before I go out and fight anything, have fun. Some people get caught up in everything else. Oh, my God, I lost. I got lost on my record. I was undefeated. Now I got lost. Or, oh, I'm not going to get picked up by UFC because I just got lost. I lost this. Like, bro, you worry about the wrong thing. That's why, probably why you lost because you went out there in your mind thinking all these other things and you stopped having fun. So whatever it was that you got into it, is what's going to keep you coming back and back and back, and that's what's getting you in the gym every day. Yeah. Once the fact money and all that other stuff become the motive, you might as well walk away because it's no longer your heart isn't it anymore. Now your pockets is in it, and greed is the end of all men. You know, you got, you're never going to have enough because once you get a lot of money, you're going to want more. You're going to know there's no way, there's more ways to get more. You're going to keep trying, and eventually, you go up just as fast as you come down. Just anytime you get humble, remember why you started and just keep going. Corey Anderson, thank you so much for thank coming out to the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you guys for having me.
head right over to our website, fireinsidepodcast.com. Right at the top of the page there, you have a link to all our socials. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fireinsidepodcast. Also, our Twitter and Instagram links. We're pretty active on all of those. Definitely also make sure you check out our YouTube page. We do some exclusive content there, kind of behind the scenes, um, extra stuff that gets cut out of the actual podcast, but some really great stuff over there. Check that out. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Also, if you'd like to purchase any of the books from um, either Frank or any of our guests, shoot over to our website, fireinsidepodcast.com. Click on the shop link up at the top. That'll bring you to our page broken down by episode of each one of our guests. And those will take you over to our Amazon affiliate links where you can pick up a copy. Also, wherever you're listening to us, whether it's on TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, stop by one of those pages, give us a like, leave a comment. Reviews are always great. We'd love to hear from you guys. And that's about it. So I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode and we will see you next time. 